open your Bibles to Psalm 105, and then put your, if you have your Bible, put your stringy dilly thing in, in Genesis 37. That's this deal right here. We don't know what to call it, so we just call it the stringy dilly thing. Y'all okay this morning? It's, it's not a bookmark. Bookmark's a thing that's separate from your Bible. This is a stringy dilly thing. That is the technical term of it. We've been in a series entitled Chasing, and we're talking about chasing our dreams, chasing what God has for us, believing for big things, and then going after them. Not settling for the small things in life, but dreaming big. God said, the Bible says that He is able to do exceedingly and immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. If you can dream it up, He can do that or more. And he made you to be a dreamer. He made you to dream big, to think outside the box, to be creative. He put all that in you. And, um, but last week we talked about dream killers. How if we want to accomplish our dreams in life, we're going to have to face some giants called dream killers. Now, there's so many of them that we could talk about that we have to face in our life. But we went over just five very quickly. One was distraction. Distraction, uh, the, the dream killer of distraction tie, tries to get you distracted so you never even know what to do. You never hear the word from God. You never get the dream because you're too distracted to hear what God is saying to you. Number two is confusion. Confusion steps in after distraction. If you, w- distraction wants to kill your dream before it ever starts, but confusion says, well, now you, you have a dream, but you don't understand it. You don't really understand what God is saying. And so what we have to do is we have to get that aha moment with God, that OIC moment, that moment of clarity. Three is busyness. Busyness, this dream killer steps in and wants to put so many things in your life, even good things in your life, that it's not that you don't know what to do or you don't understand how to do it. You're just too busy to do it. Number four is procrastination. You have the time, you're just not doing anything. New Year's resolutions come and go, and they're always the same. You could, you could just repeat them again because we are procrastinating. We're putting it off for tomorrow, but we are not promised an endless supply of tomorrows. Number five is discouragement. You've been trying, you've been waiting. Habakkuk said, when, when the vision tarries, when it delays, don't give up, don't be discouraged because it will come to pass. And that's what discouragement tries to do. He tries to step in and get you to quit too soon. Now, then we picked up in Psalm 37, and what a great verse. Verse 23 and 24, the Lord directs the steps, everybody say steps, of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Now, here's what I love about this verse. Number one, oh, we'll just finish it. Go, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I messed you up. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Here's what I love. God is directing your steps. He's the grand chess master putting all the pieces together in your life to get you exactly where he wants to take you. Here's the problem. Go back to verse 23 for me. He's directing directing our steps. If we're not taking steps, there's nothing to direct. How many of you remember or have ever driven some type of vehicle, tractor, some, something, you've driven something that did not have power steering. 
Power steering. Okay, so if you're under 30 in the room, that's the thing that makes you be able to turn your, to- your wheel very easily even when you're stopped. In the old days, they didn't have that, and you, if you were not moving, you would have to like get your foot up on the dash and get some uh, torque to leverage to pull the tire. I mean, y'all know what to pull the wheel. You could not turn that thing unless it was moving. Now, if you got the machine moving, then you could turn it a little easier, but when it was at a dead stop, you, you couldn't get those tires to turn. This is what walking with God is like. If you're not taking steps, it is very difficult for God to direct you on where you need to go, to turn you to the left or to the right. But if you'll start walking, all God's got to do is just ease you just a little bit this way or ease you just, well, no, we don't want to quite go over there. Just keep, you just keep walking. God, you're ordering my steps. I'm just walking. I'm just taking steps. And he's just easing you to the left and easing you to the right, speeding you up just a little bit, slowing you down just a little bit to work it all out for your good. But... Are you taking steps? Well, that's kind of where we'll pick up today. That's kind of where we'll pick up today. Uh, Let's go to Psalm 105. Hopefully you're there. If if you're following along on your app notes, I hope that you are. Uh, You should have those ready. If you don't have the app, Triumph Church TX in the uh, app store. And uh, should have it for all your phones and Good times, good times. Here we go. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. Verse 16. He called for a famine in the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. I, I want you to note something here, and this is not really in the message. I just want you to consider it. The he in this verse, I go back to verse 16, the he is God. Note who called for the famine in the land of Canaan. You see, there are things in our life that you thought were happening to you, but God knew they were happening for you. But we'll keep going. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Verse 19. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison. Is that where I was supposed to end? I'm sorry, guys. Here's here's this verse. Check this out. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph. God is at work in our lives. And, but between where we are today and where we're going, where he wants to take us, not only are we going to have to face giant killers or dream killers, but we are going to have to understand that God is going to test you. He is going to test you. He is going to prepare your character for the place that you are going. You see, the question is, if God fulfilled your dreams today, would you be ready and able to handle them? How many stories have you read where someone won the lottery or uh, a a pro athlete gets a huge multi-million dollar contract, but within just a few years, because they are not ready to embrace that part of the dream, they don't have the character and the discipline, they're broke again, living right back where they were because they didn't know how to handle the dream. 
Let's skip over to, to Genesis 37 now. I actually think there are 10 different tests that, that Joseph was faced with, but we're just going to go over the first one today, and I think it's the one that he faced and we face time and time again. We'll talk about it. Genesis 37, verse 2. going to read several verses, so stay with me. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often uh, tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. I want you to note there, he was reporting, he was tattletaling on his brothers. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Now, the second thing we learned about Joseph is he was his father's favorite. Why was he his father's favorite? Was it because he was a good kid? What was, was it because he was the best looking? It was simply because he was born in his old age. Joseph had nothing to do with why he was the favorite. He didn't earn it. It was just given to him. So he was a tattletale who also was apparently spoiled. Now, now this is not a good combination, right? But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest. They couldn't say a kind word to him. They couldn't say anything nice about him. But I mean, can you blame him? He's a tattletale and he's a favorite and he can never do anything wrong. One night, Joseph had a dream. Are you thinking about somebody in your life right now? He had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Dude, you're already hated. Why are you making matters worse? His brothers responded, so let me get this straight. Now, know that in the culture he was raised in, the youngest son was the lowest in the family. The firstborn son had the birthright, had all the rights, had all, he was going to get everything. He was the guy in charge. So the youngest, who had no right to anything, is now standing up saying, you guys are going to all bow to me. And they're like, you think you will be our king, do you? Not only are you the favorite and don't deserve it, not only are you a tattletale, not only are you floating around in your beautiful coat made of many colors, but now you think we're going to serve you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more, watch this, because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. He wasn't just hated because of his dreams. He was also hated because of the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it because one time he didn't learn his lesson. He's coming back for more. Listen, I have another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he's told the dream to his father as well as his brothers. And this is such a, you're so far off base, Joseph. Even his father, who loved him more than everybody else, said, you're crazy. Like, listen, man, it's a bad deal when even your parents think you're crazy. He scolded him. 
What kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Interesting here. Joseph, first and foremost, so so he was hated for his dreams, but also for his words. He was hated for how he went about his life, how he handled his brothers. Now, it's easy to pass judgment on his brothers, and believe me, they are going to commit some crimes against him that, that are horrible in every way. But at this point, they haven't committed those crimes yet. They already hate Joseph for his words and for his dreams. You see, Joseph would go out with his brothers, and they would do whatever they were doing, and Joseph would come back, and he would report to his father. He, he would report and tell all the little stuff that they were doing, all the bad things. They did this, and you won't believe what they did here, Dad, and you won't believe what they did here. And, uh, you know, I know I would never do this, Dad, because I'm your favorite, but what they did. The problem was Joseph thought of himself as being qualified to judge his brothers. Joseph thought of himself as being qualified, as being the right guy to come back in and tell on his brothers. My kids do this. Do your kids do If you have multiple kids, do they do this? They want to come back in and tell on what the other kid did. And it's always like, okay, they did that. That's probably true. What did you do? Because you know there's not just one of them involved. If they're fighting, there's two people in the fight, and there's always another side of the story, right? What is Joseph doing? No, but he thought, I'm so good, I'm so amazing, I'm so loved, I'm the perfect son, I'm the favorite son, therefore I am qualified to come back and report on my brothers. You know, anytime we pass judgment on someone without it being our place, we are revealing the pride in our hearts. When you are passing judgments on someone, and it's not your place to pass judgment on them, it's not, it's not your call, but you are judging them, you are declaring this or that about them and telling other people about it, you are revealing the pride that's deep within your heart. Joseph had pride even before he had a dream. Here's what I love about God, though. God gave Joseph this amazing dream, this amazing calling, despite the pride and the sin that he had in his heart. Just because you have a dream doesn't mean you're perfect. Just because you have a dream doesn't mean that God doesn't need to work on you. Just because he has blessed you with an amazing future, which I know that he has, doesn't mean that there isn't some character things he needs to work out in you. You see, here's what I believe. God has big dreams for all of us. And he will persevere as he seeks to get rid of anything that stands in the way. When when we say that God is working all things for your good, that means he's doing whatever it takes to get you prepared for the good things he has in your life. If that means moving someone out of the way, he'll do it. If that means defeating an enemy, he'll do it. If that means allowing something to happen in your life to get you prepared, he'll do that too because he's working all things for our good. He has big dreams, but he is going to persevere. He's going to keep working at it. You say, well, man, why is this still going on? Because God is unwilling to give up on your dreams. 
When discouragement is set in in our life, when discouragement is set in in our heart, God is not discouraged with you. He's going to keep on working. I want to talk to you today for just a few minutes about the first test that Joseph faced. It's simply the pride test. The pride test. Father, I thank you for your presence that's here today. I love you. I'm here to serve you, God. Lord, as you are working on my heart, as you're exposing things in my life, God, I pray that I would come before you and before your people day, today with, uh, with humility to present this word straight out of your scripture. But God, let it be your words, not mine. Let it be your voice and not mine. Let it be your spirit and not mine. Speak to us today, God. Help us. We know that you're working on our behalf. We know that you're ordering our steps. And we are here today for a reason. So speak clearly today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people said... Amen. So Joseph already has pride in his heart. He's judging his brothers. He's telling on them. He's his father's favorite for reasons that he didn't even cause or couldn't even control. Then God gives him a dream and he decides to blabber about it. Not wise. You ought to be careful who you tell your dreams to. Not everyone is going to receive them in the way you meant to say them. He doesn't learn the first time. God gives him another dream. He decides to tell it to even more people. That didn't work well either. You see, pride is the, often the first and the most frequent test that we face. It's the first and it's the most frequent. It doesn't just happen once and then we're through it. It happens once and then it's going to happen again and again and again. When you have a young man, and I say men because honestly, guys, uh, the we are more prone to pride in ourselves and our own ego than women are. And you can get mad at me for saying that, but you know that it's true. You can take a young man, and at 17, 18 years old, he thinks he knows everything. He thinks he's better than everyone and can do everything. There's nothing you can tell him and nothing, and you can help him. And at later in life, you're looking back on it, and you're saying, how is this guy so how does he have such a big ego and so much pride and he hasn't done anything to deserve it? You see, pride is obvious when you haven't done anything and yet you think you're great. Does that make sense? But here's where pride really gets difficult. When you have accomplished things and you have a reason to brag and you have a reason to be proud of yourself and there is some substance to what you're saying, there's a history to what you're saying, now pride gets in sneaky because it feels deserved. It feels warranted. You feel qualified, but it's still pride. Even if you've passed the pride test several times, I can tell you that when God takes you to another level, another level of authority, you will have to pass it again. Each time you pass a, pass a test, you receive a new level of responsibility in His kingdom. And with each new level of responsibility, you will face a new level of testing in the area of your pride. I'm just talking truth this morning, so, uh, you know, you can be mad at me, it's okay, but this is the truth. We say, God, give us more. So you pass the test, He gives you more, but you're going to have to take another test. Consider when you were in school and you were taking math. You started with your uh, uh, adding and subtracting, and you learned how to do that, and you took a test and you passed, and then you moved on to the next thing. 
And they didn't keep working on addition and subtraction. Then you went on to multiplication and division. And once you learned that, you had to take another test before you can move forward. And every, te- every week, every six weeks, at the end of every year, you were taking tests to prove that you could handle that one. But when you went on to the next phase, you had to take a harder test. And the same thing happens in our life as it relates to pride. We push down pride. We defeat pride in our life. We pass the test. God says, well done, good and faithful servant. And he moves you to the next level. But at the next level, you're going to have to deal with pride again. But not small pride, bigger pride. You see, as a senior in high school, I wasn't worrying. I wasn't taking tests on addition and subtraction. I was taking a test on AP Calculus because I had advanced And my teacher said, we're not going to keep testing you on what you should have learned in kindergarten. We're going to make it harder on you. And the same thing happens. Every new level of authority that you have in the kingdom of God, get ready. New pride test coming your way. Pride is a sin. Check out this verse right here. Proverbs 21, verse 4, the Message Bible. Arrogance and pride distinguishing marks in the wicked. What does that mean? You can know the wicked because they have pride and arrogance. They're just plain sin. There's no other way to say it. There's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way to say, well, but... No. Pride and arrogance are just plain sin. If there's pride in your life, you can say, well, man, Pastor Randon, I'm not... not, uh, committing fornication i'm not committing adultery i'm not looking at pornography i don't cuss i don't do any of those things that the world says are sins that's fine is there pride in your life because if there's pride in your life then you are sinning as much as the person sitting next to you well but why is it a sin well it's actually not just a sin but it's the original sin Isaiah chapter 14 tells us that Satan, who was in heaven, was the worship leader in heaven. In his heart, he exalted himself and said, I want to be like God. And he took pride in himself, and it was pride that got him cast out of heaven, down into the earth and into hell. And that's why we are where we are today, and it started with pride. Pride isn't just a sin, it is the original sin. You make an excuse, well, Pastor Rennan, the pride is not bad in my life. I mean, I have just a little bit of pride. Well, here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin, this boasting, this pride, this arrogance in your heart is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of of dough. Here's what he said. He's talking about when they were to make unleavened bread. If you, if you left just a little bit of yeast or just a little bit of leaven, if you left any of it all, it would spread throughout the whole dough. And when they were worshiping God and, and part of their feast was they would have to eat unleavened bread. If it was leavened at all, the, the entire thing had to be thrown out. Here's what Paul is saying. If there's just a little bit of pride in your heart, first of all, it's going to spread. And secondly, it's going to get everywhere. And, you know, like the leavened bread, we're going to have to start over fresh and clean. You know what? If there's just a little pride in your heart, you be very careful because it will spread. We ought to get rid of all of it. The other thing about pride is that pride must have a voice. Pride must have a voice. 
you can say, well, I'm thinking it, but I'm not saying it, right? I'm just going to. Have you ever said these words? Somebody's doing something and you want to say, you want to judge them in some way. You want to say something about them, you, you know, or you want to say about how good you are. And you just say, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to say a word. You ever been there? I'm not going to say anything. Lord knows I'm going to, I'm going to keep quiet. Help me, Jesus. I'm going to do this thing, right? But here's the problem. Pride must have a voice. And if you allow the pride to stay in your heart long enough, how many of you know you sit there and you sit quiet, you sit quiet, you don't say anything, and then the next statement comes, I can't take it anymore, I can't be quiet anymore, i got to say something. Because pride in your heart has to have a voice, and the longer you leave it in there, the more likely it is to speak up, and when pride speaks up, it gets really loud. Joseph's brothers hated him for his dreams and for his words. Verse 8, they hated him for his words. They hated for what he said because pride has a voice and it must speak. Joseph was bragging. He was, he, he was bragging. He, loved, he, was, he was proud of being his father's favorite. He was proud of his coat. If pride is down in your heart somewhere, I pray today that for me and everyone in here that God exposes it because it's like a little yeast in a bread, and it will and it will spread. And it'll end up coming out when we don't want it to. We ought not brag about the call of God on our lives. We not we ought not brag about the dreams that God has given us. We ought not brag about the gifts that He gave to us. We didn't earn them. We ought to thank God for them. We ought not brag about the things we've done for God or that we plan to do for God. We ought to give Him all of the glory. So we have to take a, a look at our heart and we say, okay, if, if pride is coming out, if pride is on our lips, if pride is coming out of our mouth, or if it's in the thoughts in our mind, it actually is rooted in our heart. So what is going on there? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if there's pride coming out, there's pride deep within. Jesus also said, it's your words expose your heart and you're being defiled from within. He said, it's not that you're washing your hands or not washing your hands. It's about what is in you that is defiling you. The pride in your heart can be messing up your life and you don't even know it. The root of pride, and this may shock you for just a moment, but the root of pride is actually insecurity. The, the root of pride is an insecurity in who we are and a need from other people to recognize what we've done or how great we are. It's, it's insecurity in who God has made us to be and who God has said we are, so therefore we need other people to recognize it. We need to be right. We need to be the king. We need to be the hero. We, we need to be all of those things because we're afraid that you won't value that in us or you won't recognize us in that and then you might reject us and then the thing that goes with insecurity is fear fear that we won't be liked fear that we won't be accepted fear that we won't be valued fear that we won't, we won't be known and so pride swells up to overcome the insecurities and the fear in our lives we got to let everyone know who we are and what we've accomplished bragging is really a way of trying to achieve a sense of security trying to become secure in who we are and accepting that everyone knows how special we really are. Why don't you look at the person and say, I already think you're special. 
And here's the problem with pride, because pride has a fruit that is born of it. Pride has a consequence. It has to be dealt with. I'm convinced of this. If you can't handle the dream without being prideful, you will not be able to handle the fulfillment of the dream. So, so because dream has a problem. Pride, uh, pride has a problem. It has a price. Look at, look at these three verses. Just, and there's a million verses on pride. Go do a study on it. I'm just trying to narrow it down to a few things for you today. Proverbs 11 and 2. Watch this. Pride leads to disgrace. If pride is in your life, you think you're building yourself up, but guess what? Disgrace is on its way. But with humility comes wisdom. So here's the deal. If we have pride in our lives, disgrace is coming. Disgrace will be the result. You think you're building yourself up. You think you're putting yourself up on a pedestal, but guess what? The pedestal is going to get knocked down and you will be disgraced. The other hand, if we go the route of humility, which is the opposite of pride, it's the other end of pride, then with that we will gain wisdom. Now what sounds better to you, disgrace or wisdom? Wisdom. Let's go to the next verse. Um, Proverbs 29 and 23. Pride ends in humiliation. That just doesn't sound good to me. How many of you woke up this morning and say, I would love to be humiliated today? Like I, like I just, today would be a great day to completely humiliate myself in front of the whole world. Put it on Facebook, put it on YouTube, put it on Instagram. Let's get it out there. You know what? If you wake up with pride in your life every day and you don't deal with it, you don't ask God to help you, that might as well be what you're saying because it's coming. While humility, again, so there's the, here's these two words, at odds, two choices, pride or humility. While humility brings honor. Pride is trying to take honor. It's trying to do it to himself because we're insecure and fearful that it won't happen. But here's what the Bible says. Pride will end to humiliation. But if we'll have humility in our lives, we will actually get what we're seeking anyway. Humility brings honor. One more, one more. God opposes the proud. This is what Peter said. And he's quoting scripture here. He said, God opposes the proud. Not only will you be disgraced, not only will you face humiliation, but you're going to have God opposing you. And there's a few people in my life that I don't mind opposing me. God is not one of them. I want to be on the Lord's side. Remember that old song, Who's on the Lord's Side? I want that to be me. I want to know where do you stand? Who's on the Lord's Side? I want to be on, no, no. Pride puts me on the opposite side of God. Pride puts you on the side of the enemy. Why? Because pride is what got the enemy kicked out of heaven in the first place. But watch what he does. Here's that word humble again, right? But he favors the humble. So here's, again, here's our option. God can oppose us. Or we can get on his side through humility. And, and not only will he uh, work on our behalf, but he'll give you favor in your life. Now that sounds like a much better deal. Wisdom, honor, and favor. Disgrace, humiliation, and opposition from God. There's your choices. So I asked myself this question, how do I deal with pride? How do I deal with pride? Here's what Jesus said on the subject, Matthew 23, uh, verse 12. But those who exalt themselves... Those who lift themselves up, those who boast in themselves, those who are full of pride, will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now I want to show you something here. 
This is what Jesus says. He said, you got two options. This is the Randon Clark interpretation. Are you ready? Here's what, here's what Jesus said. You humble yourself or God will humble you. You're going to be humbled one way or the other. You're going to be torn down. You're going to fall. Remember the Bible says pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before the fall. You're going down. You're going to end up on your knees. So you can do it willingly and say, God, I am humbling myself before you. I am kneeling down before you. I'm placing myself lower than you and I'm lifting you up. Or you can lift yourself up and allow God to come through and knock your knees out. Now, again, I just make it this mission in my life to always be on God's side. When it doesn't make sense, I want to be on God's side. When I don't like it, I want to be on God's side. When, when it's not fun when, and when everything is going great and when everything is going bad, I'm always trying to make sure I'm on God's side. I don't want God working against me. Because what I know is if God is for me, then who can be against me? But if God is against me, what chance do I have? So, Jesus said, humble yourself or God will. Humble yourself or God will. Three ways you can keep yourself humble. Are you okay this morning? If you're watching online, hang with me. Here's number one. Remind yourself that you weren't born in the palace. What do you mean by that, Pastor Renan? Well, here's what I mean. Your identity is found in Christ. You are a child of God. You are a son or a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are his. You belong to him. He loves you. He cares for you. You are an heir in his kingdom. Okay? That's who you are. That's who I am. What I mean by that is this. You weren't born in the palace. You were grafted into his family. You were born into sin, but God brought you in through his grace. You see, some of us have been living in the palace so long, we think we deserve to be there. We've been living in the palace so long, we think we earned the right to be there. No, no, no. It was only by His grace that we are where we are, and we are who we are, and we live where we live. It is only by His grace and His immense and immeasurable love for us that we have what we have. And we can say, I am a child of God. You're not a There was only one child of God, and His name was Jesus. But through Him, we all get to live in the palace. Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, uh, NIV version. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. If you think you deserve to live in the palace, you're deceiving yourself. If you think you deserve to put yourself on a, pal- a pedestal, you are deceiving yourself. No, ma'am, no, sir, you're a child of the king because he chose to bring you into his family. Then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 4 and 7, and he says it like this. For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? What is it in your life that God didn't give you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as if it were not a gift? Everything in my life came from God. Everything came from God. It's all from Him. It's all a gift. It's all a gift. So why am I boasting? It's all a gift from God. He can take it away. The Bible teaches that He lifts one up and He pushes down another. That's what God does. He gave it to me. He could take it all away. 
Why would I boast in it? I didn't do it. I am here because of the grace of God. We've got to remind ourselves that we were not born in the palace. Number two, take it a step further. Recognize that the price you paid wasn't enough. You see, every dream you accomplish in your life, every big thing that you tackle, it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to sacrifice to get it. The problem is we think the sacrifice is, was paid for the dream, but the sacrifice is not enough to pay for the dream. Your hard work is not enough to pay for the dream. It's just simply not enough. The great thing about God is that we get to be involved. In fact, he wants us to be involved. And you can see time and time again throughout scripture where God encourages and demands us to be involved. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So there is a price for me to pay, but all the work, all the labor, all the effort, the price that I paid wouldn't have gotten the job done. Here's what Jesus said in John 15 and 5. I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will do great things. But watch this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The moment we get to thinking we got there on our own without God is the moment get ready because a fall is coming. That's pride being built up in your life. We've got to remind ourselves that the price we paid was not enough. When I think about this building that we're sitting in today, this is one of the great dreams of my life and, and of this church uh, was to be sitting here with you and, and to build this, this facility and uh, I, I hope that if you're new to Triumph in the last four years, I hope that you're really enjoying it because I'm going to tell you a lot of people paid a huge price. And the, in the process of building this building, it cost me emotionally, it cost me mentally, it cost me financially, and it cost me physically. Uh, you may have heard me talk about the esoph esophageal disease that I have. Uh, four years later, I still have it, and it started while dealing with this building. I got shingles while trying to get this building built. Went to the doctor. He said, this is an old man disease. I said, well, I'm not an old man. But, but apparently this building made an old man of me. Right? Uh, long hours, lots of work. But you know what? My efforts, the price that I paid, did not build this building. First and foremost, I would be leaving out so many incredible people who helped me and lead to get this building built. Our campus pastor, Ryan Lewis, who handled all of the technology and most everything that you see with your eyes in this room was him. We, we had uh, Butch Chamberlain who helped us do all the build out. We had Henry Labrie who helped us lay the foundation and stand up the walls. We had Pastor Ryan Olivier who came in as a project manager and helped us uh, push the project through uh, right there at the end. Time and time again, all of these people. What about all of the good people who gave and served and came up here and helped and, and, and took money out of their own lives. You know, the, the truth is that it, was, it wasn't just me and it wasn't just the leaders, but it was all of you that together we paid a price, but even all of our price wasn't enough. What do you mean, Pastor Randon? Well, listen, it was God that changed the hearts of the city people and at least it even allowed us to have the permit to build this building. It was, it was God that moved on the hearts and the lives of people. And first off, he brought a spirit of generosity to this church. But not only did he bring a spirit of generosity to, to many of us, but then he provided the funds so you could do what you promised you would do. And then thirdly, 
It was God who moved on the heart of the banker when they said, we're not loaning you any more money, and yet we were short. And God stepped in, and God changed the deal, and they called back and said, yes, we'll do it. Pastor Ronnie was helping us with it, get, get all those loans. And as great of a job as you did, Pastor Ronnie, it was God who changed the heart of the banker. You, you see, there were so many people involved, but it wasn't the, just the price that we paid. It was that God was involved doing it. And we think, well, I did this and I did that. And God's saying, what are you talking about? Apart from me, you can do nothing. He didn't say, like, apart from me, you could accomplish some okay things. No, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But the moment we start thinking that the price we paid was enough to accomplish the dream is the moment that we are in big trouble. Pride wants to convince you that you have earned the right to feel the way you do because you paid the price. That's not what Jesus said, though. Number three. We have to regain some perspective on how great we actually are. What do you mean by that? Philippians 2 and 3, New Living Translation, Paul says it like this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. This is interesting here. Be humble and don't just use words, but really in your mind. Train your brain, change your heart to think in such a way that others are better than you. This is how you defeat pride. You lift others up and you put yourself down. Doesn't mean you're ugly to yourself. Doesn't mean you beat yourself up. Doesn't mean you think you're a horrible person. He never, he never said here, think of yourself as terrible. He said, lift others up. You see, part of the problem is we can tend to live in a very small world and we work our way up to be the biggest person in our world and then we think we're this great person, but we have to remind ourselves we're not all that because as great as you are, there's always something bigger and something better. I was reminded of this actually twice in the last nine months. The first time was uh, back in the fall, had the opportunity with some of our campus pastors to travel to Dallas and sit in a one-day uh, invitation-only meeting. There were about 50 pastors or so there. And then I was able to go in the back room with about eight senior pastors of some of the largest churches in the country and sit with the senior pastor. His name is uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle, Pastor's Life Church. They have 26 campuses, 165 services on the weekend. And on a fairly regular basis, they will have 100,000 people in service between all those services and all those campuses on one weekend. You can live in Beaumont, Texas and feel like you're doing something great and you're a big guy and then all of a sudden you sit there next to a guy who has more people in church on Sunday morning than anybody else in this country and you go, oh yeah, I'm not as great as I thought I was. Now I know you love me. But understand, I got in the room with someone bigger and it reminded me of where I'm actually at. Just a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity, actually twice within a couple of weeks span just before Easter, I had the opportunity to spend a few minutes with Pastor Joel Osteen of Lakewood Church. He's America's pastor. He pastors more people in one building, one facility 
per weekend than any other church pastor in the country. So in the last nine months, I've had the opportunity to be one-on-one with the two largest church pastors in this country. I'm going to tell you, nothing will remind you more of where you actually are than being with people who were almost beyond imagination as what God has done with their life. Sometimes we need to get around people who are bigger than us just to remind ourselves to defeat pride in our life. You walk out of that meeting and there's no pride going on in your life. You're just glad to be there. You say, Pastor Ren, well, I don't have the opportunity to get with those type people. You know what? I'm grateful. I didn't open those doors for myself. They were doors that God opened, and I was, I was grateful to be there. But let me tell you, there is one place you can go no matter what field you're in no matter what you do there is a place that you can go to get the same effect and that is you can get into the presence of God and when yeah if you wake up every morning and you'll get into his presence if you'll get down on your knees before God before a a, a the creator of heavens and the earth, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If you'll get with him, it will drive out pride in your life. Lay yourself down before God. Lift him up. You see, here's the last thing I want to say to you. Because until the time comes to fulfill your dreams, God is testing your character. He's trying to get the pride out of your life. Pride is taking glory that belongs to God. What pride is trying to do is saying, is say, you know what? I deserve that. I did this. I did that. I accomplished this. Look at what I did. It's the exact same thing that Satan did and got him cast out of heaven because Satan was trying to take glory that belonged to God and God wouldn't allow it. That's why God has to say that he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because what we're doing is, when pride is in our life, we're taking his glory. If you take his glory, he will humble you. But here's what I love about Jesus. If you will give him the glory, the Bible teaches that he'll then turn around and share his glory with you. You can't take it from him. But if you give it to him, he'll share it back to you, with you. Don't take what belongs to God. If you want to accomplish the dreams you have in your life, the first test you have to deal with time and time and time and time again at every new level and every new turn is, is there pride in my heart, God? Is there pride in my heart? I want to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you as I've been preaching today and talking today. Is there pride in your heart? Or pride in your heart if you're watching at home. If there is, I, I want to pray for all of us. And I'm not going to ask you to repeat this prayer, but you ought to pray it in your own heart. Pray it for yourself. But I'm going to lead us in a prayer of repentance for pride that has hidden itself away and it has exalted itself that is taking glory that belongs to God. Father, I thank you for loving us. 
And I ask you to forgive us, forgive me for allowing pride to take root. Lord, I don't want to take the glory that belongs to you. I thank you for the grace that you're giving. I thank you for the honor that you have given us. I thank you for, uh, for loving us and caring for us, for doing wonderful things in our life. And God, may we live our lives in such a way that they're always pointed towards you, that our hearts and our minds are always lifting you up, giving you the glory. Father, we repent today for every time, everything that we have declared was because of the price we paid. Father, forgive us. Give us a fresh start today. Give us a new chance. Draw close to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.